Hey, welcome back to Anime on the Sea of Sky. Um, we're just going to be doing something a little different this week, uh, considering that I'm going to be away from my computer for the next week and a half or so. I thought that I would go back and use one of my previous recordings that I had done one of my long road trips and going off on a couple of tangents to fill out a lot of the content. Um, considering that, besides, there wasn't really much in the news this week. I mean... We got a release date, or a general release date, for the third My Hero Academia film, and um, it's going to be coming out in the summer of 2021. I'm leading off of last week's, you know, talk about it. It's just I'm not really excited or enticed to kind of see where it's going, considering that if, oh boy, if they're just going to force Studio Bones to put out a new fucking My Hero Academia movie every 20 months, it's just not really going to be helping anybody at this point except for those in their wallets, because I'm just going to get just more and more jaded as the years go on and the films go on because I know we're going to be having My Hero Academia Academia content regardless for probably about a decade or so, depending on how long the adaptations go for and how long Horikoshi decides to bring the manga. Um, But in lighter news, not necessarily um, for the general public, but more happiness for myself considering that um, the sequel to The World Ends With You, which was a really... Um, not popular, but just an obscure but incredibly fun and entertaining and unique uh, game that came out on the Nintendo DS, uh, like, way back when, is finally getting a sequel. I mean, I ended up playing the remaster on the Switch that they decided to put out um, about a year back, and so bringing that kind of, I don't know, bringing that kind of joy back into it and reliving a new... um, experience with a lot of the characters, which is going to be new in this case, considering that the majority of the main cast is going to be entirely new, but based on how they ended the extra content that they decided to tack on to the end of the remaster, I'm really curious to see how our old main cast is going to be able to play into this, so I'm really excited for that. So the recording was back at the beginning of January 2020. The audio is incredibly choppy, considering that it's only for my phone instead of my mic. I apologize for that. I do fumble a bit, say like a little bit too much, so I'm hoping that you can just deal with it. So, enjoy. Alright, can't remember the last time I did one of these, um, but um, it was probably at least two months ago, but at least I'll at least <laughs> try and bring an episode back on my way uh, through for Anime on the Sea of Sky. Um, so in terms of topics today, if you can, if I can get through this really monotonous and absolutely horrible starting uh, episode, um, I'm basically going to start talking about my initial uh, impressions of the winter 2020 anime season, and then afterwards get a little bit into Makoto Shinkai's Weathering with You, which I was able to just see last night. Uh, which I possibly could have seen four months ago, but that's beside the point. Um, so, I guess, in terms of the 2020 season, it's, I'm try- it's, it's kind of like in the middle of the uh, of cinemas and the movie industries like Dead Zone, where basically a lot, of those, a lot of those just random films that they can't necessarily pick to where they want to place them or where they want to go and uh, premiere. They basically just throw them at the beginning of the year, around January, February, March, and winter... Winter has been a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of anime seasons because I can think of a lot, whenever I think of several anime seasons uh, that are the most flippant and they go and they essentially go a lot back and forth between like a lot of good stuff and a lot of, you know, just 
straight up duds for three months. Like winter and spring definitely come to mind first, but winter is kind of the one that also is a little more inconsistent where there are times when you can get something absolutely magical in the middle of that season. Because I'm pretty sure, excuse me, I'm pretty sure winter of 2018 was, you had a place further than the universe, you had your, uh, you had your camp, you had Hakimita Mikochi, you had, I'm pretty sure it was also in the middle of uh, My Hero Academia's third season. And, like, the fact that you were able to get so many of those shows cramped together in just one season on its own. Oh, yeah, and I'm pretty sure it was, it wasn't Land of the Lustrous, but I was watching it in the middle of that season after it finished airing the year before in 2017. But 2018, I can't remember if it was winter or spring where they ended up coming out with Made in Abyss. Or Made in Abyss might have been fall of 2017. It, it was, it was kind of along that, but it's just... Winter is incredibly back and forth whenever you can find either a bunch of shows that you're, like, ready and prepared to enjoy, or just like, okay, so I guess I'm watching, you know, uh, the extended portions of the shows that started previously in the fall before, or I'm just essentially going to be waiting for the next season, because um, I'll probably go into what I'm looking forward to with spring right after this, but in terms of winter 2020, there are, there are three shows that I'm looking forward to that I was looking forward to watching, and then one show that's kind of like a half show, which was, which was uh, Heia Camp, which is basically the uh, uh, Yuru Camp, like, short three or four minute, uh, like, soft episodes that they were just able to go through. Even though Rin is not in them so far, it's just been even though it's just been two years since it was the last time I saw a Yuru Camp episode, like, it's just, as soon as you listen to the music, as soon as you get reintroduced to the characters that you haven't seen in years, it's you just immediately get wrapped in the comfiness of what the atmosphere of that show brings to you, and you just, for a moment, at this point in time, like, the best part for me is to basically just wake up on a Monday morning, like, brew myself some coffee, and then sit down and watch this for three or four minutes before I head into work, and it's just absolute bliss that prepares me for the day. And so, so far, the three episodes that are, or, no, just the two episodes, the third one's coming up tomorrow, and this is a Sunday in the middle of January. Uh, but... It's, it's nice. Just for the three minutes that I get to watch every week, it's still nice, and I'm honestly glad that it's a part of the lineup. Um, and then the three shows that I was partially interested in or was looking forward to would have been... Uh, let's see. Let's start with the one that I haven't seen yet, which is Doro e Doro, which I'm pretty sure is now on Canadian Netflix, and it just had its second episode, so I'm going to have to jump in and see if Canada is able to get that week by week, and if it's not, then Jesus, um, well, I'm gonna be waiting a couple of months because Netflix really thinks it's a good idea to keep all of those uh, titles that they end up uh, getting licenses for behind bars for a good five to six months just so they can get an international dub prepared and whatever other reason. Because I can't imagine like, any other reason for licensing a show and then waiting for it to be, like, a lot of the shows they pick up are 13 episodes long, and you are going to pick up a show you are going to hold on to the license. You are going to essentially wait until it is two to three months after the initial show's viewing. And then you're like, okay, well, now I guess we can do minimal advertising. And then now that we have the international dub together for the distribution, all right, now we can release it. And it's like, oh, wait, why aren't as many people watching this as we thought they were? Oh, well, maybe it's because nobody was essentially waiting for that. Nobody is going to wait, especially in the anime community, where it is a week-by-week basis that everybody consumes their media. In a lot of the shows that are airing now, it's like, why not just have it week by week, and then it's still sitting on your catalog or your backlog? 
It's like people still watch this stuff in Japanese. That's where the entirety of the anime community goes through. There is not... There is such a minuscule, uh, like, consumer market on Netflix that are going to... That have no idea what the show is about, and they look at the title, and they look at the description, and they, they go, wow, yeah, no, I think I think I can watch this. I think I can watch this because it's just English, and they have my... Like, that's not... That shouldn't be... Uh, what's the fucking word? That shouldn't be the type of consumer you should be going for for selling this kind of medium. Like, that is not even close to the type of people... Your demographic, that's it. This is not the demographic that you should be looking towards in order to get this show the maximum amount of views and, essentially, popularity that you could pop, that you could get for a show that you license. Like, you're licensing this. You're the one who's paying for... Well, mm, hold on. <laughs> I, might, I might be getting that backwards. Uh, no, well, they're, they're still getting... They're still paying distribution costs. They're still paying dub costs. They get the license for it, and it's just... Guys, I still have no fucking idea what you're thinking about this in the States because Canada has been able to get a couple of these and Canada does it week by week. And Japan is just like, no brainer, this is the entirety of our fucking, you know, like anime fan base. We release these shows week by week and it's like, yeah, sure, it's in their native language. Sure, they don't have to wait around for any other extraneous dubbing, but then nobody else is doing that. Like, what? Just, just give out the raws with subtitles raws and subtitles, I know I'm mixing that up, but just get out the, the Japanese dub with English subtitles within the weeks that they are going to be releasing it, and then in the middle of all of that, once you have the once you have the data and you have the files and the tapes for the specific episodes, then you can just do the dub in your spare time and then release it at, and then release it whenever. So you can just say, alright, Doro e Doro is coming out in January of winter 2020 in just Japanese with English subtitles, and then you can say come June or July or whichever month this is coming out, coming in June or July is going to be the full international uh, dub casting, and then people can watch it again. You can get people to re-watch it in English. I know that's going to be like a much smaller crowd than the people who watched it when it was subbed, but it's about the same fucking... It is just about the same number of people who you have essentially waiting for this series to come out, and by that point, they're just going to be completely, like, done with it and bored, and they're not necessarily going to be wanting to give it a second chance. It's like, sure, there's going to be a lot of people that's going to be waiting around, but it's like, man, am I getting fucking off tangent. Like, just... I want I want the reason. I want a reason why you can't essentially do what Canada's doing and go week by week and have it be any other reason besides waiting for international dub to come out and we don't want the subtitle. It. Like, I want a legitimate reason as to why that's not the case. So, now that that initial rant is over... um. I mean, Inspector, and this kind of came onto my radar only a few weeks before the winter 2020 season just came out. Um, and it was a dude essentially going over, like, his favorite current ongoing uh, mangas, and Inspector was essentially on there. And the description he gave was kind of enticing in the sense that you have these two... You, you have these two supernatural, supernaturally bound people, not to each other, but to the spirits and the world around them, where they're one of the only people that can essentially communicate with the yokai and nature and the spirits around them in order to try and still be like an intermediary. Well, in her case, she's an intermediary and a goddess of wisdom, but then he's just kind of like a dude who was forced to ingest the flesh of various yokai and ended up getting certain powers from it. But it's like, if that's the case, then just... That's honestly pretty good, because I legitimately like... I, I love... Japanese folklore in that case, and, and supernatural sort of shows that we've been able to get. More recently, Flying Witch, not so recent, you have Natsume's Book of Friends, and same deal, not so recent, you had Mushishi, you also have some of the supernatural tellings that mix traditional, like, 
uh, English and Japanese folklore in the sense of of the Monogatari series. Like, there's so much good supernatural stories that you can essentially consume, and anime has a really good back catalog if you want to go down that route. And Inspector, it didn't hook me on its first episode. It was just good enough for me to give it another opportunity on the second and third episodes going through and thinking, all right, yeah, I can, it's, it's, it's fine enough. I still don't really kind of like it because it sounded, the romance, the quote-unquote romance in between the two main leads sounded a little more nuanced and mature um, when the dude was describing it, but then the first episode is literally just in between a year or so, like a year or two, the main girl was almost stalking this guy. And so, okay, you weren't able to figure out anything about him in those two years. You only jumped on him when you realized that, oh, you broke up with your girlfriend of four to five years. It's like, okay. It's just like, yeah, they were high school sweethearts, and they went into the same college together, and they ended up, like, having a romantic relationship essentially for the longest time, and then he immediately gets out of it, and you think, okay, yeah, no, I'm emotionally mature enough to try and get this guy back on his feet and essentially become his new uh, girlfriend. And it's like, um... I can see how a lot of people would kind of like that personality, being very forward and, like, trying to get that, but it's also kind of the fact that, hey, you're 17, and, well, honestly, no, there's not really much of a dirty uh, dirty dancing age gap here, because I think the characters are, like, 17 and 20 or 21, and so there's not really, so that gap isn't necessarily that big of an issue, it's just more along the fact that they give off, they give off this essence of premature maturity, after the trauma that she, the quote-unquote trauma that she went through in becoming a goddess, essentially losing both her eye and her leg, but then everywhere after that, it's it's just that her emotional maturity is just a lot, is just a lot weaker than she seems to let on. But if we're supposed to find the fact that she really wants to stalk this guy and finds him incredibly like interesting, I don't really find it charming. I find it really like annoying, aggravating, just not necessarily the kind of relationship I'm looking between these two leads and the dude is just like look like the dude's like lost limbs he's been like shot or stabbed like he's he's probably been tested on very much so or very <laughs> to the point where it's like all right look I've already been through enough shit with yokai my body regenerates I was literally eating yokai flesh as a child you can't necessarily do like anything else to me and it's like I'm not really fucking into this and I'm not really into anything and so it's like, this is kind of not the relationship I was expecting, which is kind of a little bit on my end, since I only got like a three to four minute, you know, interlude as to what the show was going to be about. But then episode two hits, and it's essentially a back and forth between the main girl and a snake god of a lake. Essentially, back and forth, talking about a murder that happened near the Forest Spirit's lake that didn't... They're essentially reading a murder case for 20 minutes. Like, it's not... A, a couple of people seemed like they found it incredibly interesting to, like, watch this main character essentially expose dialogue verbatim from newspaper articles, from personal journal entries, from online... Like, from online articles and trying to get to the bottom of this mystery. But it's just... It's not a mystery. It's literally somebody reading a book to you. Because we there's no mystery in the beginning where it's like, why did this woman throw a corpse into a lake? And it's like, well this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened, and then it's just kind of like they kind of sort of come to a conclusion, and I don't get, and it's like, look, we don't give a shit about the murder, or the victims, or the story being told, it's just the main girl, like, ex exposing just this random murder story 
with the other dudes sit, like sitting and listening in the background, and it's just like, I don't care about any of these people. I don't care about anybody involved in the murder story. It's only been an episode you've given us with these two main characters, and so now they're just standing around listening and talking. And so, like, that's not the time for you to put that episode down. If it was in the beginning of the manga, then it's just kind of like, okay, sure, I can kind of accept that, but I have no reason to care about the characters that are reading this, about the force spirit that they're trying to converge with, about the fucking people who are involved in this murder mystery, because it's not that much of a mystery. It's incredibly fucking boring, is all I can say. I was bored to fucking tears. Like, at the point where it was just, okay, so now they're talking about this article, and now they're going on the other article, and I'm looking at the timestamp on my goddamn video player, and it's like, oh, we're eight and a half minutes into the episode. We still have about 14 minutes to go of this bland and excessive talking. Like, God. And people are already, like, were they? I, I can't remember if it was this show, but people are, like, already, like, comparing this to Pokemon Gattery, and it's like, dude. <laughs> okay. It's kind of supernatural, and it's like both of our main leads trying to reconcile and learn with each other but it's like the story is not about our main characters our main characters don't get anything like changed out of this story like nothing about them is different like she's still deadpan in her delivery because she wasn't that invested in the people who are involved in this story and if she's not invested why am I supposed to be invested like I it's just look the second episode was incredibly fucking boring but I know that bad episodes in anime happen, and so it's just at that point in time, I will give it, like, another episode or two just to, like, try and win me back. But if they pull, like, another one of these bland exposés about characters that aren't involved with our main leads that we don't give a shit about, then it's just like, okay, well, there, there isn't really much of a reason for me to continue watching this. So of the three shows that I'm currently watching now, it's, like, the most disappointing, and the other one's, like, literally fucking three minutes long, and it does more than it did in those last 24 so, and then before I get to the last one, still watching My Hero Academia, still watching Chihirafu's third season, which is absolutely fucking phenomenal. Like, it is, like, I like it, and it had more narrative weight and stakes and hype moments than My Hero Academia did in its, in the first part of its fourth season, until the overhaul fight. Then the overhaul fight was just like, you talk and Nakamura powers activate, Unipon cubes engage, and it's just that... 40 minute or about 40 second cut was just like all right all right all the build up to this one fight what i've been looking forward to like for the years ever since i read this uh read these chapters in the manga that fucking worked that was that was hype and so going on i'm still looking forward to the next major arc that they've got which isn't really a major arc it's just like you know it's gentle guys the gentle criminal is coming to the stage and it's going to be hilariously entertaining so the last show, keep your hands off Azoken, like listening, listening to uh, the Rooster Teeth uh, fan service podcast and like listening, because this was just like when they watched Shirobako, since these guys like Miles and Carrie and um, a fucking Cole, since all of them have like hands on stuff in this industry that they literally like make this stuff for a living, having their perspective on watching these shows that also like dabble in the production side of things, it's always invaluable to just listen to these guys and express why they love this show so much. And it's just like, Azoken coming off, it's uh, Masaki Yuasa started off 2018 with a bang with Devilman Crybaby, and now he's starting off 2020 with a bang with this show, Azoken, and it's nuts. Like, 
it's so charming and the main three characters are so distinct and so like quirky and charming the only like the only negative things i have to say about the show is just like look if you guys are expecting to achieve the goals that you set out in the first two episodes then you like gotta get some new people in there which I'm pretty sure they're going to be able to handle this just as well as they have with their previous works. But, like, goddamn, dude, like, Azuken is just miles, miles ahead of any show that came out this season. Like, I still enjoy Chihayafuru a little more, but if it's, like, the best show that has aired for the first two weeks of the winter 2020 season, Azuken takes that mantle. No, with just, just nothing even comes close to it. Like, it is ridiculously good. I would say, like, just to kind of uh, cut it out, like down here, like Azuken. <sighs> I mean, I really hate to cut it short, but it's just like the like the styles, the like essentially the, the sounds that they're able to make when they go with real engine sounds, and then they make all like all the supplementary sounds and the dreamscape and the and the storyboard scape with literally just mouth sounds, like to just like to signify an engine starting and to watch like a machine come to life and fly for the first time. Like it's. Like, all of the stuff that happened in the first episode, like, Miles essentially described it as, if you just watched that first episode, like, it would possibly just be, like, one of the best, like, short-form anime stories that you could, like, ever lay eyes, eyes upon it and ever see. And I just, and I'm just kind of curious where they have to go, or where they could go from here is, like, the only concern I have with the show, but it's, like, just, just the people who are behind it and the style just gives me no other reason to, like, fret, because they know what they're doing. They have every... They have every intention of, like, showing off what essentially this industry can do as as well as paying homage to all that came before it. It's just, it's just fantastic. Like, it is, it is just, it floored me how well the first episode came off. And the second episode, too, with, like, bringing homage to essentially, like, all the classic uh, equipment that they were able to utilize when, like, in the beginning of animation, when they didn't have computers. Like, it was, it's nuts. It's absolutely phenomenal. And then we can get into, uh, essentially the main events of, uh, this section, which is my thoughts on Weathering With You. Uh, Kota Shinkai's most recent stuff. I was in Toronto during TIFF uh, about four months ago, back in 2019, and I waited in line because I, like, I had no plans for this, like, I wasn't expecting to get in, but a buddy of mine and I, like, waited in line for an hour, and then we realized that we were fucking... Uh, like, we were around the corner and, like, 55th in line for that movie in particular. And it's like, there's no fucking way we get in. Because every, every, nearly every screening had all their tickets sold out. And if not, there was only one extra ticket to give. Like, it was people, I underestimated the Toronto weave scene because they took notice and that movie was just sold out. It was, like, more, it, it was just more, uh, what's, I guess people were covering it more than like Joker, they were doing it more than Knives Out, they were doing it more than Hustlers, like all of the movies that should have been like taken at the top, I didn't hear of any other stories of people waiting in line and just like, th there was the difference between the other films that people were waiting for was just so vast when the woman was coming around and counting people's faces, it was just ridiculous. And so we weren't able to get in and which really sucked because I knew that, um, like, I knew the dates. Like, I knew if I wasn't going to be able to get into this screening in September, I wasn't going to be able to see this movie until now, in January. Um, which kind of sucked. But, so, basic thoughts on the film. It is a good film. I would, but I would give it a light to strong 7. 
just as one of his like one of his uh, most recent outings, I would put five cent. I would put it third in his repertoire behind your name and five centimeters per second, with Garden of Words very closely behind. If not for the fact that I thought that, um, if not for the fact that it was just well put together, the cast surrounding the main characters was just like they were just really charming and fun to watch. Ah, oh, God, what's her name? Um, especially Hina's younger brother. Like he was, he was the fucking MVP of this movie. Um, but if I wanted to get into a few brief pros before I dive into the cons, because the more and more I think about it, the more and more I realize that this was just a satisfactory outing, if, as this was not really the sequel, but the follow-up work uh, to Your Name. The music was good. Radwimps, like the insert songs that Radwimps, and I can't remember the female accomplice that they were able to put into two or three of their songs. They were great. They weren't incorporated and edited as well into the film as they as they were in your name uh but like they they kind of missed the mark like two out of four times in weathering with you but they hit the mark all four times with in your name so it was just like all right it's you know just kind of unfortunate i really liked hina and her brother like they were definitely the core of this movie uh like essentially the hardships that they had to go through and like Hina essentially trying her best to still make a decent living uh, for her and her brother in the absence of their parents and like she was like she was the main character to me like she was without a doubt the one who had the most stakes the most like the most conflict and the most drama like surrounding her as well as being like a very carefree person and just like she she carried a lot of the film along with her brother like it was basically their family that elevated this film um if we're talking about um hanukkah i think the main dude's name was he did not do much for me this film he was fine but it's just that they didn't really give him enough depth like the only like a lot of it is just up in the air as to why he is the way he is why he decides to run away to tokyo from his small island town and just like why he wants to go there in the first place like it, it seems like he's throwing a tantrum which a lot of it is because we don't he of course it doesn't you never have to outright explain why people like do the way they do the things they do especially when it comes to trauma you can do it in a very subtle way but it definitely seems like it was either too subtle or they didn't give us any reason as to why he would run away from his hometown other than he said it was suffocating. So that could mean a lot of things, but it's just like, I don't think being suffocated in your hometown would force you to just abandon high school, abandon your family, and try and make a living inside of, like, Tokyo, of all places. And so we don't really get enough inside of his head to, like, really make him enjoyable. And just his emotional maturity is just not even close to satisfactory to for somebody who wants to be inside this position like as good like i don't know he, he, he was just not as emotionally mature as the rest of the cast like even the dude who essentially is his mentor and like was very similar to him as a kid is like of course he's an adult but as but it honestly seems like he did all he did a much better job as to coming into this like i feel like there was just a lot it was almost like a half and half like half of the things I half enjoyed this movie, and I half just keep finding things that were just like, all right, it's not really that, it wasn't really that amazing of a film, or that amazing of a, like, a follow-up 
to become the highest grossing Japanese film of 2019. I just didn't really feel like that. I definitely, like, I'm not one of the, I, I'm just not one of the, no. If, if people are going to be calling the ending of this div, uh, divisive, I, I wholeheartedly support the uh, ED. I thought that was fine. Um, I didn't really, I didn't really like the inclusion of Taki and Mitsuha from Your Name in, in like, incorporating them into this. Because, like, at the time, I, look, if, if I didn't watch Makoto Shinkai's, like, brief interview at the, at the end of the film, like, saying this is basically, like, a handful of weeks or months before the ending of the film where they meet on the stairs, because then I would be going back and forth. It's like, okay, what part in the timeline does this fix? Is this, like, the initial one before Mitsuha gets killed? Or, like, how, like, what part in this uh, did Mitsuha and Taki meet? Is this before? Is this after? Like, how, like, where essentially does this fit in the universal uh, Makoto Shinkai timeline? Like, it was just like, okay, that's kind of fine. But also just, like, the fact that he comes out of the shadows and you kind of just don't expect it to be him, but it is, and then it's like, oh, cool, it's Taki. And then they literally just point to the... And then they point out the grandmother's just family name, and it's like, yeah, I know, we get it, it's, it's Taki. And then Taki, like, keeps talking to the young kid, and it's like, yes, we get it, it's Taki. You don't need to bring him back in order to just try and fill out another narrative, like, point. And then, like, the main character decides to go and buy a gift for uh, Hina, and then it's just like, okay, like, there's Mitsuha. It's like, oh, great, like, we... We could have just been fine with the initial part of her scene, like, just blocking off her face, and then just, like, listening to her, and then being like, okay, yeah, no, that's Mitsuha. You can definitely tell it's Mitsuha. And then they do, like, a shot, reverse shot, close-up of her face with her name tag. It's there. It's like, yeah, you really have to be a major otaku to figure out who these two characters are. And it's like, to newcomers who had never seen your name and watched Weathering With You first, of course they would have no idea why these characters have any significance in the story. But if... The majority of the people who had seen, who walked into Weathering with you after seeing your name, nobody was, nobody would be like, what? Who were those two? It's, it's just, no. The only way that you have no idea who those characters are is just that you had never seen your name before. So I don't really think that was much of a, like, wink and a nod. It's like, damn, you guys, you must have been major talking to realize that those two were inside my movie. And it's like, you are really underselling how big your name was at that point. <laughs> Anybody who had seen your name would have noticed those two. But moving on, I definitely... I don't know, I guess we're, since we're in the middle of spoilers, I already pointed it out in the beginning. Like, I just didn't really like the way that... I could probably name almost any character from your name immediately after watching this, and only Hina was the only one... Hina was the only name that I remembered. And the only reason why I remembered Honoka, which I honestly can't remember if that's his name or not, is because they both had the same first letter in their last names. Like, that's basically it. So it was just like, okay, well, uh, great. I, I can barely remember the majority of the faces. And so the dude that takes him in at the beginning, it's definitely fine in line with his character. Uh, near the climax, he's essentially telling him to go home because he has a legitimate reason. Because he stopped smoking, he's cleaning up his life just so he can regain custody of his own daughter whose wife passed away two years ago. Like, that is a legitimate reason for him to do the things he's doing and abandon the one kid he picked up, what, three to four months ago? Like, I understand you're both the same. You both just ran away from home and made... You ran away from home and made an industry in Tokyo and you really, like, understand the kid. But then, if that's the case, why would you, like, really just slide him off so easy? So you're just going to slide him off easy because you need to take care of your daughter... And then the police officers actually come back into his house, and it's just, he gets reminded, it's like, man, doing all of this after one girl, how stupid is that? And then he starts fucking crying, and then it's just like, yeah, no, because 
I literally shoved away the only kid who, I, who like, I had nobody who understood me giving up everything that I knew just to go to Tokyo and try and at least find a new life for myself because I hated everything that I was back in my hometown. He's, I'm the only one who understood that kid, and I just shoved him away like he was a nuisance and an inconvenience. And also, due to the fact that it's just like, Hina's gone, she's not coming back, even though he knows she's a sun, she's a sun goddess, and even though he knows something horrible has happened to her, and even though he knows that's the case, he still doesn't really want Hina to be... Like, I get it that she only did him a favor, but she, he also just hand-wipes Hina away like she just doesn't really mean much anymore in his life. Like, okay. Uh, and then... And, and then he flip-flops back to having him. It's like, dude, she's gone. She's not, Im she's not important anymore. You're never gonna see her again. Just stop pining after this one girl. It's like, dude, your entire life was changed over one girl that you met in Tokyo, one girl who felt understood you, and that one girl you, who you ended up marrying and having a kid with and dying prematurely, like less than two years before this kid entered your life. And now you're going to flip back and tell him, no, you can't go after this girl. She's not worth it. You have to face reality. Stop like doing this. And it's like, what the fuck? And then all of the policemen come in and like, there's no re and like, <laughs> I know Japanese cops are a lot more reserved than American cops. Like, American cops are, like, the fucking, like, hairline trader. But it's like, this kid has a fucking gun in his hand, and he's pointing it at several fucking officers, including a civilian, and none of them are, like, going to, like, shoot him, in, like, cap him in the leg or the arm or just press him in any sort of way. And then Hanukkah just, like, completely and utter... Like, Hanukkah's reaction is fine. Like, he throws away the gun because he literally can't fucking do it. He's fired that gun twice, and he hasn't hit anybody. But the fact that he just fired a gun in anyone's general direction is just, like, haunting for him. Like, the way the music goes and, like, his eyes start fidgeting and his hands are shaking even though he's, like, even though he's trying to keep everything together. And it's like, yeah, no, that's understandable. He's a 16-year-old, like, runaway kid. And so you can understand the stress that he's going through and trying to find the one person that he felt was able to understand him. And, you know, he, he was in love with her too, but it was like, damn. And so then finally the police, like, get on top of him. And I guess that's when, I guess that's finally it. I guess that's when he finally, like, turns back to the kid where he literally starts tackling off an officer. And it's like, okay, so do you want to get your daughter into custody or do you want the kid? Like, you literally just could have talked to the kid and then told him to go up the stairs, and then that was it. Like, that's all you needed to do. Because you were so on the same page of this, but you ended up just, like, flip-flopping between the majority of your actions and your priorities. It's like, dude, pick a fucking side. And then, but then, like, the other, the other kid who ends up, like, getting involved, which is Hina's brother, who is the fucking MVP of this entire goddamn movie. Like, it's just... <laughs> Like, the first, the first shot you see of him, it's like he's this, he's this nine, ten-year-old grade school playboy who is talking and, like, essentially the youngest womanizer you have ever fucking seen in an anime. And he's just so smooth with it. And he ends up becoming, and he ends up being he and his younger brother. And he's not just, like, this suave, oh, man, like, I don't really care, like, oh, yeah, my sister, like, my mom's gone, so I just gotta keep this facade. It's like, no, he, he literally dresses up and, like, helps facilitate the sunny, 
like the sunny girl persona by dressing up as a Teratera Bozu. And it's like, no, you, no, you don't have to do this for me. It's like, I, god damn it, I told you I didn't have to go in this costume. And he goes in the costume anyways because he loves his sister. And it's like, yes, he is just, he is so, he is not one, he's not a one-dimensional fucking playboy. He's just so, he's such a, to, to the point where it's like, look, I don't care how salacious or emotionally mature you make this 10-year-old out to be, the fact that the 16-year-old supposed main character is taking romantic advice from a grade schooler is just like, I understand it works as a fantastic joke. It does nothing for your MC when that's kind of the case, where it's like, it's a funny joke. Now I think less of my MC for it, and I think he's more of like a dunce. Like, it's, it's just kind of an unfortunate backlash whenever you have to throw in a joke like that. But it's just like, he is just, he is so good. Like, man, if you, unfortunately, like, her, he's going to be 13, uh, like, at the end of this, and there's absolutely no way that we'll be able to see this kid as, like, a recurring side character or a main character, like, from They Do the Taki Mita, but damn, dude, like, this kid, this fucking kid is just the best addition to this film, by far. I'm trying to think of anything that was better, like, like the music's up there, he's up there, Hina's up there, the production side of things... There were times when it was a little janky, and there were times that it absolutely floored me. Like, when they were doing the 3D tracking, like, the 3D wraparounds uh, of the characters, and, like, all of the 3D and the 2D elements didn't necessarily mesh together well when they were doing those 3D rotations. But then when they were... Uh, what is it? But then when they were doing these... Uh, what is it? Those move-out just still shots watching the sunrise and the sun break through the clouds over the entirety of Tokyo is like the frame of the movie for me. Probably the second frame would be any one of them breaking through the clouds in the climax of the film. But it's like, dude, the city shots, the the sun essentially gradually unveiling the rest of the buildings as it moves across the city. Phenomenal. The Like the backwards pull out showing the entire city being bathed in sunlight as she's essentially distributing her powers it's like damn dude it was really fucking good looking like it was just i would say the um like so yeah the 3d rotation the fireworks scene where the fireworks were honestly all well and good but then in contrast with the 3d backgrounds of all of the uh the buildings just took me out of it for a bit so it was like it was a tracking shot that led all the way up to the st- top of the helipad where we were able to see the two uh, MCs talking where I don't know like everything below it was just kind of iffy but the, but the fireworks were fantastic yeah it's just that every other every other side character wasn't that memorable besides the besides the only five like even then even then like they try and throw some sympathy onto the assistant girl that we found at the beginning and she's trying to get a job and she's like you're my f- yeah and so it's like, man, trying to find a job sucks. And I'm like, man, I know. But then she's like, you're my first company of choice. You're my first company. You're my first company of choice. You're my first company of choice. Why aren't you hiring me? It's like, okay, calm down. Take about 20% off there because we understand you're trying to like do the same thing over and over and it's not working and you're getting frustrated and we understand that because finding a job is fucking difficult. But like, you're not really getting any sympathy points out of me. Like once you try the same thing over and over and over again and try and you expect to get a different result. It's just kind of like, eh, that doesn't really resemble. Like the one, like the way they did it slightly better in your name was that Taki was trying to land his first job out of high school. And it was just, 
doing the exact same speech on not necessarily civil engineering, but essentially like civil prosperity and maintenance. I think it was not restoration, but protection over like traditionally and culturally significant areas and building around them has to make them a part of the like concrete ecosystem rather than it being, oh yeah, all that snow is melting, rather than it being, so he, so I'd imagine like he did that same speech uh, several times, but the fact that he, they were able to like get it between five different job interviews, but then five different portions of the speech that melded in within like five to 10 seconds. And it's like, you know what? Perfect. That's all you needed. And like, kind of, and like, fuck, poor Taki and Misa, as soon, like within, um, like within months of them finally being able to find each other and get back together, it's like, oh fuck, I guess Tokyo's gonna be underwater within three years. Well, I, at least I have you. At least I love you. Like, that's basically going to be the gist of it. <laughs> like, oh man. Mitsuha's basically just going to escape one horrible natural disaster only to finally get to Tokyo in, like, as one of her wildest dreams just for it to be submerged. Like, that fucking sucks. Like, I'm sorry, Mitsuha. That's just really fucking shitty luck inside the Makoto Shinkai-verse. So, yeah, I guess basically what I, what I would go out to say with this film is that I still enjoyed many parts of it. There were a few parts that dragged, um, and I guess the corniness, the corny, cheesy moments that worked inside of your name didn't necessarily work out inside of, didn't re really work out or, like, hit the same notes with me. Probably just, uh, what's the fucking word? Like, the melodrama that happens in the middle of, like, the rising action and the conflict and the climax of this film, it's just that I guess the only person I really, like was concerned about was Hina, and then they throw her brother into, like, uh, like, protective custody, and then, like, we're just left with, uh, Hodaka again, and it's just like, yeah, I guess I didn't really care about him that much, so when he's the one that's going through all these trials and tribulations, and he's the one that's trying to get Hina back, it's just kind of like, all right, he's gonna get her back somehow, but it's like, I really, it's not really mattering how he does it, like, the most he does is run, in the last bit of it, and it's through the help of the people around him and that do the majority of the work to try and get him out of there. It's like, okay, yeah, no, but I kind of liked them a little more than I did him. So I guess he would have been one of the negative parts about it. I would still recommend going to see this film. I still liked it strongly enough, especially the high moments that you get out of this film, while not as high as your name, which is kind of unfortunately a theme that I can't help but continuously connect it to, because it was a lot of the same story beats, uh, not the same story beats, but it's just like the same, uh, the same setting, boy meets girl through mysterious circumstances around like supernatural happenings, and it's just like there's so much that you think back on his previous films that you can't really separate them a lot of the time, where it's like this one did things better than this one, but this one, but not as strongly as this one. It's it's just really tough to separate his films because they all have such a familiar style um, and familiar uh, plot beats. I would still recommend going to see this film, like, without a doubt. Like, I would imagine everybody who went to go see this movie where it's like the next Makoto Shinkai film that also broke the box office at in Japan, like, again, three years after the release of Your Name, it's like, you know what? Yeah, there is no reason that you shouldn't see this film. It is definitely good enough. Everybody will find something that they, they will enjoy about it. There are going to be emotional highs that will resonate with almost anybody that you'd be able to find. And honestly, as even though it's a lackluster follow-up to what was hopefully 
not the last Makoto Shinkai masterpiece, but just an interlude between the few that he makes now and the ones that he makes in the future. Thank you.